Welcome to the latest edition of our Fixed Interest podcast series. My name's Tony Stringer and I'm a Managing Director in Fitch's Global Sovereigns Group. I'm joined today by Brian Colton, our Chief Economist and Lead Author of Fitch's Quarterly Global Economic Outlook Report. So Brian, it seems the world has changed quite a bit since the December GEO, with the March 2019 version just published, showing a pretty material downward revision to our growth forecasts. A 0.3% cut to 2019 global growth in the space of just three months looks pretty substantial. So what are the key drivers of that downgrade and how broad-based is it? Uh, it is a pretty big downgrade, 0.3 uh, between between two consecutive GEOs. Uh, I think maybe you know one interesting way to look at it, if you look at the delta in growth, so the change in growth between 2019 and 2018, minus 0.4 percentage points. The last time global growth deteriorated that much was 2012 when the Eurozone crisis. So, so this is this is a big deal. It's been pretty broad based. I think 15 of the 20 countries that we look at, we've seen lower growth forecasts for 2019. In terms of what's driving it, it's been so broad based, it's been quite difficult to pinpoint the precise initial source of it. But, but the evidence we think points to emerging market demand playing a very important role. The slowdown in China reverberating a lot more widely than we, we and others probably uh, anticipated. And also the fallout from the FX crisis in a lot of emerging market countries last summer. We've seen most of those countries that saw their currencies fall have actually seen a pretty big slowdown in domestic demand and in, and in imports. Turkey's at the forefront, you know, a massive swing in final demand there from growth going from plus seven to minus three over the course of 12 months on a year-on-year basis. That, I think, has had a big impact, has hit at the Eurozone, it's one, you know, one of the most reliant on foreign demand, a big current account surplus block, particularly Germany, the, the most open economy, the most exposed to China and the most exposed to emerging markets. So I think that's that's the ultimate source of, source of the shock, probably more important than, than, the, than the trade protectionist issue, which has, has been there, has affected confidence, but I don't think its direct impact on the numbers has been so big. Despite the deterioration in the outlook, you do say in the report that you don't think we're heading for a global recession. So what are the mitigating factors that make that less of a risk at the moment, do you think? Geographically, uh, the world's largest economy still looks broadly okay. We still see US growth above trend uh, this year. The consumer in the US and in other advanced countries, including including Europe as well, is somewhat insulated from this shock. We're seeing labour markets pretty strong, unemployment rates very low. That's That's helping consumer confidence. Fiscal policy is still supporting U.S. growth. We actually think the stance of fiscal policy is going to be a bit more supportive to growth uh, in the eurozone in 2019 uh, as well. And then on on the emerging market front, we're probably at the worst of the adjustment in Turkey, Argentina. I think things are probably going to be looking looking a little bit better sequentially in Turkey going forward. And then in China, you know, there's, there's been quite a lot of policy easing. It's been a little bit different to the past. Uh, but if you look at how rapidly they've cut the RRR, the central bank balance sheet is growing quite rapidly. We have seen a start of a turnaround in credit growth in China, uh, investment in the infrastructure sectors recovering, um, and pretty big fiscal easing. The tax cuts are quite, quite material. We do think that's going to have an impact in stabilising growth in China from the middle from the middle of this year. If China needs to do more, there's a quite a lot of extra levers they can, they can pull as well. They haven't done any macroprudential easing um, on the housing market, for instance. That's a very powerful tool they still have. They haven't actually cut the benchmark interest rate. So there's still more that China can do if they need to. We think uh, we think that, that they, they've done enough to stabilise the economy. And that, that's got to be crucial, I think, in the second half of the year in, in preventing us 
uh, seeing a further further downgrade to global growth. Let, let's explore that a little bit more. So the China story, as you're saying, the Chinese economy is playing an increasingly important role in global uh, global macro outlook, partly because of its increasing level of integration in the world economy. But do you think on balance that China's rise will act as a stabilising or a destabilising influence on global growth over the, over the medium term? I think purely from an arithmetical sense, China is a sort of stabiliser in a sense. It's contributing a huge amount to, to, to global GDP growth every year. It's a $14 trillion economy now. So, But I think it, to some, in some ways, the Chinese economy is, is a bit of a growth boom, growth bust cycle that they've been in the last few years. And that seems to be continuing. You know, they, they try to clamp down on, on leverage because they've got this issue with, with, with credit in the economy. But when they do that, growth slows and then they and then they ease off. And now they've got the trade issues. So I, th- I think we're over the medium term, we're, you know, we're, we're in a new world now where we've got to watch these mini cycles in Chinese growth very, very closely because it's having a much bigger impact on the global industrial uh, production cycle and global growth dynamics than, than it ever had in the past. And uh, I don't think our models are kind of quite caught up with, with how important China has become. It's an absolutely vast economy now with a, with a really quite a unique cycle of its own that's, 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 that's reverberating much more powerfully than ever before. So let's turn to monetary policy. There seems to have been a step change in the Fed's communication since December. Just this week, we heard a pretty dovish message from the Fed chairman following the March meeting, which seemed to suggest that further rate hikes may now be on hold. And indeed, some market watchers even betting the next move on US rates might be down. How did you interpret Jay Powell's comments? So I think the March meeting was really confirmation that wasn't really announced in the statement before January, but it was it was really in the press conference in January where Jay Powell kind of said, look, look we, we think we're done now for rate, rate hikes for a while. That was really confirmed in March with the dot plot and the, the summary of economic projections. So the Fed are telling us no more rate hikes this year. I don't know whether, whether they're going to stick with that line. To some extent, they become a little bit less predictable, I think, after this pivot, because even allowing for all these global factors, you know, a really big change in their messaging on, on the domestic economy. They're, they're talking a lot more about, you know, this positive participation surprise being a supply side shock. They're talking about not being so convinced that they've really hit the inflation target. I don't know, that seems to be pushing the envelope a little bit to me. The US economy, in terms of the labour market, in terms of wage growth, if the Fed becomes significantly less worried about China and these external issues, I think they're going to be starting to talk about rate hikes again by the end of the year. So we still think there is a rate hike coming, probably not right till the end of this year. That will be our view. So similarly, given the weaker growth and inflation outlook in the eurozone, it now looks as if the ECB may need to pivot back towards more accommodative policy. What are your expectations there and do you see risks for the eurozone economy building if policy settings aren't loosened sufficiently quickly, especially given what we now have as an elevated risk around no deal Brexit and some other political risks in, in Europe? Yeah, I think uh, to some extent what the ECB announced at their last meeting was a little bit quicker and a little bit more responsive than than, than a lot of people had been thinking. And we got we got the TLTRO three two year ex- extension, and we got the forward guidance on rates. So we had you know two quite important announcements uh, uh, coming together a little bit earlier than, than a lot of people think. But really, neither of those measures I don't think are, are really going to cut it in terms of uh, of the additional stimulus that I think is going to be they're going to decide is going to be necessary given where their growth forecasts are at now. And given the fact, you know, we don't, we don't see China stabilising until the middle of the year, 
going to be a couple of tricky months ahead for the for the eurozone economy you know with the, with this this brexit uncertainty being extended pmi numbers coming out are looking looking pretty poor so i think the ecb does need to step up and, and announce uh, you know start talking about doing something more assertive a lot of ecb members have said you know we've still got lots of tools uh, in in the toolkit you know what's been the most powerful to them it's difficult for them to really do much more on, on short term, I mean, on the policy rate or the deposit rate. I think that would create more concerns in the market, if anything, because of the potential impact on banks. So it's really going back to the net asset purchase program. We think the logic is going to drive them to, to restart that program later this year. Finally, with, with monetary policy settings continuing to ease, one of the themes of the report was stronger global liquidity, which presumably is good news for some. So where do you see the benefits of that liquidity boost being felt most? Well, maybe it helps to sort of just wind the clock back as to the you know the narrative we were we were going through second half of last year was that you know we thought this normalisation in monetary policy was you know was something that everybody had to kind of get their head around and would would create some would create some issues for for credit markets for for emerging markets uh, and indeed it did second half of last year as the Fed you know Fed's raised, raised, raised rates four times the balance sheet was shrinking the pivot that we've had has, has been so material that I, I think that. That normalisation risk, uh, if, if you want to call it that, has really been pushed out quite significantly. So, so who benefits from that? Um, I guess riskier aspects of the, of the credit markets, the stock market has benefited, uh, but emerging markets, I think that's really where the, the key benefit will be. The pressure on emerging market central banks that we saw through 20, 2018 as the dollar strengthened and the Fed raised rates has really been eased quite dramatically. And that's been one of the one of the key changes in our forecasts that, that our predictions for emerging market policy interest rates at the end of 2019 have come down quite sharply across a lot of countries. So less upward pressure on the dollar, less negative pressure on emerging market currencies, and more room for, for central banks to at least hold rates where they are and is, in some cases be able to cut them. So I, th- I think EM is, is probably the biggest beneficiary of this pivot. And you know, to some extent, the punch bowl has been filled up again. Thanks for those insights, Brian, and thank you for listening. You can access the Global Economic Outlook Report along with our other sovereign and economics research on Fitch's website. We hope you join us for the next edition of Fixed Interests.